Today our text comes to us from Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteous based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The right news. Paul in this text starts off by kind of beating the dead horse that he, he rides this entire book and letter to the church in Rome that righteousness is not based off of keeping the law. That is impossible. Righteousness comes by faith. Believing in the right promise of God. He writes, for Moses wrote about this righteousness that's based on the law, but the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But living flawlessly is beyond our humanity reach. We just cannot accomplish that. Anybody who thinks that they can is a self-righteous hypocrite who is already lost. See, God never intended the law to be the way for our righteousness, right? All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we have the promise to send Jesus that Jesus was the plan for our righteousness all along, that our faith, our trust, and our belief in him is counted to us, is credited to us as the righteousness of God. Confess and believe. This is, this is Paul's refrain today. The right news is in your mouth and in your heart, and what's in your, in your heart just bubbles out of your mouth. It's something we know and believe. It's not just mere lip service. It's not something that we just believe in our head, but we don't talk about with our mouths. The word is something that we believe and that we speak. Paul says that, that we are to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, to confess Jesus as Lord is to say, Lord, I submit to you. You are my Lord. You reign over me as we live in your kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the world put right. That means, Lord, your commands become my commands, the way that I want to live my life. Your will is what I want to carry out, not my will, but your will be done. And Lord, I even submit to your righteousness. I can't obtain this on my own. I fall in your mercy and grace and seek you to give me your righteousness. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. 
to know that Jesus is victorious over sin, death, and the power of the devil, and he shares that victory with us. The first death does not get the final word because we believe in that promise that we too will share in his resurrection. We will rise with new, perfect, and holy bodies. This beautiful little four-year-old girl this morning came up to me after church and says, Pastor Tig, what will life be like when we're in heaven? Oh. And her and I had this beautiful dialogue talking back and forth of the glory that's going to be that perfect body. I said, we'll probably be like, like 20-something, like fully grown with no age, <laughs> like no wrinkles. She's like, no wrinkles like my mom and dad have? And I, no. <laughs> we will share in that resurrection. And the second death, that separation from God for eternity, doesn't stand a chance against the victory that we have in Christ. See, to believe in Jesus is more than just knowledge, right? Because you can know everything in the Bible and not have faith. The demons know the word of God, but they do not believe. See, knowledge isn't where it's at. God is not after your brain. <laughs> He's after your heart. See, in Western society, the brain is kind of the central organ for, for all of our existence. But in, in the biblical times, it was the heart. That was the heart and soul of who you were, the core of your being. That's what God is after. He's a jealous God who longs for your heart. This belief is knowing this promise is so real that it changes who you are. It changes your lifestyle. It changes your words. It changes your motivation. It changes you. That's belief. Paul continues, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, confession and belief are not two separate things. They're two sides of the same coin of salvation. And then Paul uses this word, beautiful feet, which are two words that I usually do not put together. Feet are not beautiful to me. But in this context, they are. Paul says, how then will they call on him unless in, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I can't help but hear the prophet Isaiah going, here I am, Lord, send me, send me. And here's the need for the Great Commission. To make disciples, teaching and baptizing and our way of doing that in this time and this place with these people is awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. Can you imagine what this community would look like? Imagine an entire community coming alive to the power of life in Christ. Now, Paul reverse engineers this process of one who is coming to faith. And the end result is someone new calling on the Lord. But before this can happen, we are first sent to preach the good news the right news to them. He writes, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me this great commission thing isn't a good suggestion. It's not a, if you've got time, make this work, squeeze it in. It's not, if you're properly trained and rightly called, then this is for you. Make disciples. 
That is the job of the church. That is the number one mission of the church. Yes, we gather together and we worship and we praise God, but that is not being the church. That's just one thing that the church does. The church's main job, main focus, make disciples. Now, you pay me to do that, but I'm not the only one whose job that is because every single disciple is given the Great Commission. That means you, your number one priority as a member of God's church, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to make more disciples for Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of reasons why people struggle with doing that, things that make it hard to share. Lack of gospel knowledge might be one of those. Like, even if you're a brand new Christian, you've certainly heard the gospel hundreds of times over again. But do you have a way of saying it, speaking it, what it is that you believe, giving an answer for what you believe, as God's word tells us to be prepared for, that takes like 60 seconds or so, that wraps up who God is and why he's important to you and the difference that he makes in your life. And to be able to speak that and articulate that clearly and easy to understand and in a winsome way. Maybe just take time practicing that this week if that's something that's difficult for you. Or maybe it's not a lack of biblical knowledge. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a fear that's inside of you of, of how other people may respond to you if you do share your faith. No, strangers are easy, right? Because you never see them again. If you botch it, they're not, that's not going to be awkward later. But someone close to you, a family member, a close friend, a coworker, somebody that You've got a relationship with that's going to continue. What if things get weird? What if they just reject what you have to say? What if it limits your relationship moving forward? Right? These can all be fears that we can get hung up in. But the third is the one that's perhaps the most disturbing, at least to me. The third is a lack of compassion. I think the argument can be made that many of us have lost compassion for the lost. Now, of course, none of us would ever say that. Like, we'd never say, boy, I, I, I could care less about other people. Like, we'd never say that. But do our lives reflect it? And I, I, had, to, I had to do some calling myself to the carpet this week and, and asking myself, well, how many times this week did I engage a conversation with somebody who's a non-believer? See, I, I work in a very Christian environment. I gather together with a lot of Christian friends. I spend time with a lot of Christian people. You can't convert somebody who's already been converted. <laughs> you know, sometimes we joke that Lutheran evangelism is baptism <laughs> of an infant. That we evangelize by just having more of them. I know, funny, right? But not really. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody non-Christian? I think we, we can pray, God, give us more compassion for the lost. Help us remember the great treasure and value that it is. To know that this isn't just something that we're supposed to do on weekends, but to know that you've given us this great commission, you've entrusted that mission to us. You don't just magically snap his fingers and creates more of us. He's entrusted us with this good news to go out and share Everything hinges on that. 
So to fight against these three challenges to sharing your faith, I came up with these three R's, three R words that really help. Number one, remind. Number two, reflect. Number three, rejoice. Remind. It is good for us to remind one another that we have been saved that we've had a need to be saved that God has already fulfilled. We need to remember that, right, on a regular basis. That's one reason why we confess and, and receive absolution on church on Sunday. So we remember we have a desperate need for Jesus in our lives. We need to remember that. And number two, we need to reflect on it. What does that mean? Right? What's the impact of my salvation on my eternity? That one's pretty simple. I get to spend forever with my loving God, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to see my mom and my birth father again. People who have passed away, we reconnect. The family of God. But what's that mean for my life today? Like, how does that impact me today? The fact that I know that I'm already saved, I'm set free. How does that impact who I talk to what I talk about, what I spend time doing. We need to reflect. So we remind ourselves and we reflect. And then that just can't help but lead to the third, which is rejoice. Right? When you have so much reflection time, it grows the gratitude that you have. And you just want to burst forth with praise and worship to God. That is one reason why we gather together so that we can do that together. Lifting our voices up at the same time. Shouting and praising and singing the greatness of our God. Now, when you do those things, you, you become witness. When you remind yourself of your salvation, when you reflect on the great meaning and value, and when you rejoice with gratitude and thanksgiving, you've got this in your heart. And it can't help but come out of your mouth. You're declared a messenger to share the good news with the world. Now, an easy way to do this is remember this word live, L-I-V-E. To have a conversation, a gospel conversation with somebody else, you don't need to memorize an extensive list of scriptures. You don't need to be the world's best uh, arguer or convincer. Just talk. L-I-V-E. First one, listen. Learn as much as you can about this person that you're talking with. Have a genuine concern and curiosity for who they are. Ask them questions like, What's your belief on God, and, or how did you grow up with God in your family, or what's your understanding of who God is? And let them tell you why. Don't butt in. Don't fix or correct. Just listen and learn. Have a, a genuine concern and care for what they have to say. And then imagine. That's the I. Imagine with them what their ideal God would look like. Just name some characteristics. What would that be like? And chances are you're going to hear a lot of amazing, positive things that are actually who God is. Like loving, forgiving, providing, protecting, caring. And then the V is you can verify that with God's word, that that's exactly who the God that I am in love with, that, those words describe who he is. And then engage, that's the E. 
engage with them in regular everyday life that shows us this commitment and connection and care for who they are. And this is something that really cool as happens when, when they feel like you care about listening to them and what they believe, now they have a curiosity to return the favor. And you're not pushing your God on them, but they're curious and they want to know about the God that you follow. And you've got an open person to receive this good news that you have to share. Having a conversation with, with an individual who's in here today, a good friend of mine, has, has a co-worker who's non-Christian and has this opportunity to off and on engage in questions about God, and he can just talk freely about it. They don't agree, but they can talk freely about that. What an amazing opportunity that this gentleman faithfully steps into whenever, the, whenever God opens that door to have happen. Let your family members, your coworkers, your friends hear this right news. This beautiful feat. Right, beautiful feat. Again, I said this, those two words just don't sound like they go together for me. Right, and in biblical times, even less. In biblical times, people wore sandals often. They were great for ventilation, horrible for cleanliness. So your, your feet would often get caked and dirty, and it's why you'd need to wash your feet when you went into somebody's home. Beautiful feet. Paul, as he's being a missionary from city to city, sharing this good news with the world, he's traveling sometimes by boat when he's traveling by water, but oftentimes by foot, traveling from city to city, sharing this good news. His feet would be caked with dirt, with crust, with grime, with sores, with blisters and calluses. And these are called beautiful. Did you know the word gospel isn't a church word? It was used before in the world of war. And this is how it would be used. When the battle would be fought, when the victory was secured and, and it was sure and certain, we have won what the battle, what the army, the victorious army would do is they would send a herald back to town. Go back to town and share the good news that we are safe. That there is no need to fear. That we have won. And God took that worldly word gospel and said, you know what? You are heralds. You have seen the battleground of the cross and the empty tomb and you have witnessed the victory of God. Now go run and tell others that we are safe, that there is good news, that we have won. And Christ has won for us. And so these battle-weary feet, bloodied and blistered, when they come running into town with that good news, it's like a sight for sore eyes. They are indeed beautiful, not because of their condition, but because of the great news that they bring. Your great news that you bring makes your feet more beautiful than anybody's pedicured beautiful toes here today. You have beautiful feet because you carry a beautiful message. And as you do that, you are scattered from this place, right? We gather together, we celebrate God, and then we're scattered out into our own unique schools and places of work and neighborhoods and homes, and you are scattered out for this purpose, to share the good news of Jesus Christ.
And as you do that, the Holy Spirit, he does all the heavy lifting. He does all the, the work of, of planting himself into people's hearts. And sometimes those seeds are, are snatched away. And sometimes those seeds planted in people's hearts grow deep, thick roots that develop into a mature faith that enables that new person to call out on Jesus. Your job to go this week, have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you entrust this amazing message, this life-changing good news to people like us. That the growth of your church is dependent on us. Father, embolden us with courage, with zeal, to share our faith with those who do not yet know you. Strip away any excuses or reasons why we shouldn't. And fill us with a zeal and a passion to make this our priority. Father, send your Holy Spirit to empower this work, to make it fruitful. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.